White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. All Hit Radio. To the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide, toll-free, 800-610-7035. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And our main website, where you can listen to the Exxon 24-7-365, is www.xzoneradiotv.com. Exonation, um, we're going to be talking about a 170-year-old Zen teacher's legacy of scandals is only the tip of a melting iceberg. Now, the recent death of Josh, uh, Joshua Sasky, one of the most influential Zen teachers in modern history, has coincided with a hornet's nest of revelations, accusations, and anger. Sasaki lived to be 107, and his sexual abuse of many of his students reportedly spanned for more than five decades. Yet Sasaki was not one of the big bad apples in the barrel. A recent uh, spate of scandals among teachers of Zen, Tibetan Buddhism, yoga, and other Asian traditions have revealed a pattern closely paralleling that of the sexual transgressions and cover-ups of the Catholic Church. Now, according to my guest this hour, Scott Edelstein, uh, author of the recent book, Sex and the Spiritual Teacher, many more such revelations about spiritual teachers are likely to surface in the weeks to come. 
Scott Edelstein has uh, studied happily and productively with uh, several spiritual teachers, including Tony Packer, Danin Category, Tim McCarthy, and currently Steve Hagen. As the friend of several spiritual teachers, he has also spent much of time with them off-duty, sometimes serving as a confidant. He is a longtime practitioner of both Buddhism and Judaism and a committed proponent of serious spirituality in all forms and traditions. Scott's short work on spiritual topics have appeared in Shambhala Sun, The American Jewish World, The Writer, uh, The Anthology, What About God?, and elsewhere. He is also the author of 15 other books on a wide range of subjects. Joining me now to talk about his new book, Sex and the Spiritual Teacher, is Scott Adelstein. And uh, Scott, welcome to the X-Zone. Thanks so much, Rob. I'm glad to be here. What was it, Scott, that started you on your spiritual quest? Well, you know, the, uh, that's an interesting question, because in a way, it started from the time I was a child. All of us have spiritual thoughts from the time we're children. We wonder about uh, why things are the way they are, why people treat each other the way they are. So it, the, the beginnings were really no different than from anyone else. But I did have a kind of a, a, a big turn when I decided I was going to be writing this book, because no one had really dealt effectively or thoroughly with the question of uh, spiritual teachers who cross these sexual boundaries. And uh, Joseph Sasaki, and I should uh, make it clear, it's, it's pronounced Sasaki, and uh, Americans and Canadians uh, sometimes have trouble with Japanese names, and it's very understandable. Um, so his name was Joshu Sasaki. Um, he was around for quite some time, mm-hmm. and he was one of several people whose ongoing transgressions and, uh, and the cover-ups behind them um, made me realize, you know, if nobody else writes about this, uh, it, nothing's going to change. So I, uh, I set out to write the book, and, um, um, and it's beginning to make a difference already. What kind of difference have you seen? Well, for one thing, I now get regular reports from people um, who are saying, here's what's going on in my spiritual community. It's now being discussed widely in the media. In fact, um, there has been recently a, um, uh, a big ebook by Mark Oppenheimer of the New York Times um, on another Zen teacher whose name was uh, uh, Edo, uh, Shimano Edo, sometimes Edo Shimano, people mm-hmm. sometimes switch the names around, who also had a long history. And this isn't, um, uh, uh, I happen to mention Zen, but this goes across all the spiritual tradition. And now, finally, um, people are talking about it. Uh, for a long time, people thought it didn't happen, and so this stuff would get uh, uh, swept under the rug. Or they would say, oh, that's a Catholic problem. Well, it surely is a Catholic problem, but it's also a problem in every major religious tradition across the world and continues to be a problem. So it, it, it's not by any means that these problems have been solved, but at least they're being talked about, and people are being much more careful. Not everyone, but more of them. Scott, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Exonation. Scott Adelstein is our special guest this hour. Here's a couple of websites, www.sexandthespiritualteacher.com. And Scott's website is scottedelstein.com. And as I said, we're going to be talking about this very important topic this hour here in the Exxon as we continue broadcasting around the world from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Exxon Broadcast Network and our growing family of broadcast affiliates worldwide. Don't forget you can always listen to the Exxon Radio Show 
24-7-365 at www.exxonradiotv.com or by calling 213-401-0080. Don't go away. Nation, we're talking to Scott Edelstein. He is the author of Sex and the Spiritual Teacher. His website is www.sexandthespiritualteacher.com or scottedelstein.com. Scott, maybe we should start this segment by defining what a spiritual teacher is and how a spiritual teacher actually is different from a priest, a minister, a rabbi, or an imam. Ah, so yes, it's a wonderful question. Thank you, Rob. So if you're a, a rabbi or an imam, which is a, a spiritual leader in the um, Muslim tradition, uh, or a priest or a minister, you, have a, you typically have a congregation, you can marry, you can bury, you have a ceremony and ritual role, um, and there, there are certainly ways in which you uh, connect with, with the people uh, in your community. But those ways tend to be considerably less intimate than when you're a spiritual teacher, because a spiritual teacher has a much more one-to-one role. And they're sometimes called spiritual counselors, spiritual coaches, depending on the tradition. And what they do is they really, they, on a, typically on a one-to-one basis, they help people grow up and wise up and open up, uh, become more human. Um, and so spiritual teachers can be, they're quite common in, for example, the, the, obviously they're common in Catholicism, they're common mm-hmm. in uh, Judaism, in uh, Islam, in all the Eastern traditions. The one place where they're not as common, um, in, a, in uh, North America anyway, is in uh, the Protestantism, you know, in, in what we call the Protestant Church. Where, but we see them everywhere else, and they also can be unaffiliated with any particular religious tradition. They just hang out a shingle. And typically, because they are working one-on-one with people, there's often a great deal more trust, a great deal more intimacy. Um, And so when that intimacy is violated, well, first of all, uh, there's all kinds more temptation because of that spiritual intimacy. To, um, uh, for other kinds of intimacies to occur, and that temptation is, is, not, is for both sides, for both the teacher and the student. Um, and when it is violated, it creates a much uh, uh, bigger wound that becomes uh, harder to heal from, and often both parties can get very confused, very upset. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's a huge difference between uh, the ordinary clergy and what we would call a spiritual teacher. Of course, some people are both, but uh, I'm talking about the, uh, the role definition rather than the particular title. Gotcha. Why, why is there this, this attraction? Is it strictly because it's a one-to-one? Like, you know, I, I've, 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 I've had tutors, and mm-hmm. they, I've never had an attraction to one. They had a job to do, and I was the recipient of their work. Well, imagine that you were that tutor, somehow understood you in a way that almost no one else did, possibly in a way that your partner or your parents or your siblings didn't, which is often the case with a spiritual teacher. So um, one thing that can happen um, with the legitimate spiritual teachers is there's a a level of understanding and communication Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist anywhere else, and people sometimes will confuse that with being soulmates or with, oh, this person is right for me. That's, that's at the kind of good end. Then there's also the, the, what you could call the evil end, which is that the, um, 
the, all the helping professions, sadly, attract people with serious uh, personality disorders. They attract narcissists. They attract uh, sociopaths. Mm-hmm. And a small but uh, dangerous percentage, uh, I'd estimate maybe 5%, 4%, something like that, of spiritual teachers, just like a similar percentage of uh, ordinary clergy, of psychotherapists, of doctors, of, of, uh, of college professors, um, are actually attracted to the profession specifically so they can um, exploit other people for their own benefit. So you've got these two different streams, one having to do with um, uh, a kind of general um, appreciation and, and mutual attraction, and the other having to do with outright, outright uh, predation and exploitation. But isn't it up to the spiritual teacher to set the boundaries as a professional? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Um, and so um, I actually break down the, the different uh, subtypes, as it were, of, um, of these kind of boundary violations uh, into, into different groups. So, for example, um, the, the three largest groups, I would say, are what you could call the, um, uh, the predators or mm-hmm. the exploiters. And these are the people who really don't give a damn about the boundaries. They're in it for themselves, and a lot of them aren't legitimate spiritual teachers, of course. Um, some of them may have a, a, a limited amount of spiritual insight that's just enough that enables them to, um, uh, to hold that position, and then they use that uh, to not-so-good effect in the same way that we've seen teachers and politicians and other leaders do. Then there's the errants, which are the people who simply um, they want to hold the boundary, and they fail. Um, they lose it. And then there's what uh, I call the exceptionalists, which are people who will cross that boundary, but they'll, they'll feel like, well, in this particular case, for this particular reason, with this particular person, it's okay. Uh, and if you really were to kind of take it from the top down, from the worst to the, to the uh, least damaging, mm-hmm. and I do break this down in the book, the worst are the charlatans, the outright frauds, the predators, who might have some, serious, some insight, but they're still out for themselves. The narcissists, who just completely follow, uh, then no one else is even on their radar screen. What I call the false Brahmins, which are people who feel a kind of entitlement, like they're special, and so um, the rules don't apply to them. The libertines, who are essentially, uh, they don't believe in, in uh, sexual or other boundaries. Then there's the errants, the people who have a misstep, but the, some people will misstep and misstep and misstep, and those, they can be just as dangerous, hmm. because they can have good intentions, but, um, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a sex addict, for example, you can have the best intentions in the world, and you keep repeating the same behavior. It's the, the kind of one-time, short-term errants who, uh, I argue, are kind of redeemable. Um, the others, are, or they're in the wrong profession, they need to be doing something else. So how do we weed out the good from the bad? And how does a person who is seeking spiritual advice and spiritual guidance know how to stay away from the people who are out to get them or take advantage of them? Well, of course, uh, in one sense, the whole book is the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But a short answer is the very first thing that each individual can do is trust their own heart and gut and mind and not leap into anything too quickly. For the same reason, for example, that it's not, not generally a good idea to pick up a stranger in a bar, mm-hmm. um, have, have wild sex with them, and, and uh, hope that they'll be good to you in the future. 
Um, I have absolutely nothing about bar, nothing against uh, bars or wild sex. But what happens is you are uh, you're you're trusting a lot with a stranger. Yeah, but you're going so into, you're in going, the same way yeah, when yeah, you hold on are here, hold running on here, hold into on here, whether it's a, uh, any professional no, no, who's no, in no. a helping profession, but whether it's a, a doctor or, or a, a minister or a spiritual teacher. Um, go slow, ask questions, observe the people who are around them, observe them closely. So, for example, um, if they do not have their students' best interests at heart all the time, uh-huh. something's wrong. Oh, okay, but in the same you know, way that how can you, how can, yeah. you, how can you use an analogy of somebody going to a bar? Everybody Wait. I know who goes to a bar goes there to pick somebody up. They know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. They know. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. you go mm-hmm. to get a spiritual advisor, where you're lo- where you're seeking. Uh, you know, help you whether it's uh, mm-hmm. religious or, or guidance. You're going there to spill mm-hmm. your guts out. Indeed. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're making um, your you're, you're making thing. you're making yourself very vulnerable. Indeed. Um, and spilling your guts to to continue the metaphor a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, spilling your guts makes you much more vulnerable yeah. potentially than um, than just jumping into bed. Right, and so uh, the the thing is, you don't spill your guts on a first meeting. You don't mm. even spill your guts after a month. You watch, you pay attention, you listen. Um, in the same way that um, if you were to uh, even form a new friendship, you wouldn't make somebody your best friend for life just because uh, you said, "Hey, they've got a good, uh, a nice hairdo or mm. a cool car." Definitely. So number one is building your own discernment. Uh, okay, so. But- it, have, uh, we come, have we come to a point in society where we really do not need spiritual advisors? Ah, that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, uh, all of us need guidance, help, um, assistance, mm-hmm. uh, and each other. But not everybody needs a spiritual teacher, and anyone who says that everybody does, uh, I would be careful about. If right. somebody said to me, everyone needs a dry cleaner, I would be a little worried. If they said everyone needs a, uh, a piano tuner, I'm bald. I don't need a barber. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't think everybody does. Um, and, and, in fact, some people would be better off without one. But like with so many other professions, um, a bad one is way worse than none, and a good one is uh, way better than none. And if you don't feel any such calling that, that somebody like that could be helpful, then, uh, then fine. Don't go searching for one. I, I, would, I would not want to tell, uh, tell everybody, oh, you need this. Mm-hmm. In fact, that would be one of the, uh, the hooks that a predator would use uh, to say everybody needs one. You know, here in, here in North America, I, I don't think the, mm-hmm. the spiritual teacher or the or the re- the need for a spiritual teacher uh, has been so popular, except in the last 15, 20 years. What is it that all of a sudden s- certain members of society are saying, I, I need a spiritual teacher? Is it because they're not getting what they need from the established f- religious philosophy that they've been part of, that they're seeking outside of the forest? Well, I would actually um, push back on that in two ways. The first is that North America has a long tradition of spiritual teachers. Um, and in fact, when I say that in the, in the Protestant 
uh, church now, it, it's not very common. Back, if you go back into the 1800s, particularly from 1850 to 1900, you will see there were a ton of spiritual teachers out there, a lot of very charismatic people who led movements, who founded communes. Um, uh, so it, it's, it's a kind of modern phenomenon, I would argue, that people don't routinely look for such folks. The other thing is, is that you don't have to leave your own tradition. Many people um, will find a spiritual teacher within their own tradition. I was raised Jewish, and one of the people who um, got me to who, who encouraged me to write the book mm-hmm. is a Jewish spiritual teacher who is. Um, uh, I don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to give a na- the name on the air. But he's a sociopath. He's a narcissist. He's a uh, sex addict, and uh, he's done terrible harm. And uh, I, I uh, he actually appears in the book, but not by name. And uh, the, so the, the it's there's a, there's a thought, a common thought that uh, people leave their religion, and sometimes they look for somebody who's from a different tradition, um, sometimes from somebody who's a different continent, from a different continent. And that's not the case at all. There's all right, a Scott, long history. Okay, Scott, uh, we're, we're going to have to take our news break here. Please stand by. Scott Edelstein okay. is our guest. Sexandthespiritualteacher.com, scottedelstein.com. Exonation, don't go away. We'll be back after the news. I'm Rob McConnell, and welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Today on the X-Zone, the Sasquatch hoax of 1967. The 1967 film of the elusive Bigfoot took every member of the paranormal and scientific community by great surprise. Finally, the proof that Bigfoot did exist, or did it? In 1996, the story broke on how Roger Patterson perpetrated his infamous hoax when the Canadian film director, Harry Kimball, described in detail that the film, edited at Canwest Studios in Vancouver, B.C., was indeed a hoax. By the way, the footage was shot in Canada, not in the U.S., and yes, it was a rented gorilla suit. As of yet, there is no physical evidence whatsoever to support any claims for the existence of Bigfoot. Join me, Rob McConnell, for another story from the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology when next we meet in the X-Zone, the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Exonation, our guest this hour is Scott Edelstein. He's the author of Sex and the Spiritual Teacher. His website is www.sexandthespiritualteacher.com. And he also has scottedelstein.com. Scott, you say that we're just, uh, you know, get basically, uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg. What do you mean by that? Well, the, what we hear about is, number one, the small percentage of people who actually want to speak out about it. Number mm-hmm. two, the people who speak out about it very publicly, because typically what happens um, and this happens uh, commonly in, uh, in, you hear about it in Catholicism, you hear about it in Judaism, yeah. it's true just all across the board, is that whenever you have a tight-knit community, people usually try to get redress and justice within the community and are typically shouted down um, or kicked out or in some way uh, encouraged or forced to keep quiet. So there's a, what's been going on um, in terms of the, these boundary violations is, is probably as old as religion itself, mm-hmm. certainly as old as there have been these uh, uh, intimate one-to-one spiritual relationships. And so the, the, the reason it's the tip of the iceberg is not so much that the iceberg has suddenly grown. Um, the iceberg has already been there. 
And we are only now beginning to understand what the iceberg is, and we're looking down and going, oh, this isn't just a little bit of ice that we're standing on. This goes much deeper, and that's part of what my book is about, to help people uh, wake up and, uh, um, and be a little more savvy about this. So what can people do to prevent this from happening? I mean, besides okay, buying a so, copy of your book. <laughs> Uh, there are several chapters in the back of the book that talk about what can be done on an institutional level. In other words, um, much of what's being done right now um, is, is pretty limited. Um, and so we're only now being kind of getting on our feet in terms of knowing what to watch for within organizations, within denominations or spiritual traditions. But one of the biggest things that we can do, actually, is to provide support for the individual teachers. Now, the, you know, the charlatans, the predators, those kind of, um, of folks um, are, need to be policed. But mm -hmm. for the errants, the people who, who really want to uh, keep the boundary in place but, but uh, are having trouble, uh, what they need is uh, more peer support. In other words, uh, very much like what psychologists and doctors do, um, have regular meetings with one another, um, being looking over each other's shoulders, asking each other for help when they're worried that they might misstep. Um, it would also be nice to have a, um, a confidential hotline that these folks can, um, can call. The next thing that would be um, important is for, for members of every spiritual community to understand how important it is to speak out quickly when they see anything that seems to be amiss. Um, and right now, people let a lot of things wash over them because they just think, oh, it's a spiritual community, no one would possibly be doing any harm, this person's a spiritual teacher, how, how, how could he or she possibly be uh, predatory or, or problematic? And we've certainly learned with ordinary clergy, as well as with all the helping professions, mm -hmm. that occasionally people are that way. So, so in part, we simply need to not be so naive ourselves. And then if you are a, uh, a spiritual teacher and you, um, uh, you, you feel a kind of temptation to stray, um, you need to, to, as quickly as possible, talk to somebody. It would also help for, uh, for spiritual teachers to set better boundaries in all ways, not just sexual. Um, so a lot of them are very depleted because people ask them for everything, and they do, they're not good at saying no, and uh, they need to be taking better care of themselves. So there's a, there's a whole slew of other such things, but I'm giving you a few of the highlights sure. of some of the things that some of the different players can do. All right, let's look at the other side of the story. What about the people who seek out these spiritual advisors, that the person seeking out the advisor is the predator? Mm -hmm. uh, so in those cases, it's rare. I would, I would uh, hesitate to call them the predator, but I would certainly say they're often complicit. In other words... Um, it's pretty rare that someone is, is trying to bring down a spiritual teacher. But what is very common is that they are trying to get something for themselves through the association with the spiritual teacher. And, and usually it's because of some kind of, they're just not emotionally grown up. In other words, they think that by seducing the teacher, that gives them some power, um, or by getting involved uh, sexually with them, somehow that makes them special or more valuable. Um, or that somehow that, that, uh, the sexual encounters are a spiritual teaching. Um, and that is one of the, uh, uh, what can I say, one of the biggest rip-offs in the book in both directions, that either the teachers uh, claim it with their students, mm -hmm. that somehow it's some kind of special teaching or special bestowal of a blessing, um, and it's not, 
Um, or the, the student thinks that they will get such a somehow, um, some of the, the, the insight and the, um, uh, the compassion will rub off on them. Um, well, just ask yourself if, um, uh, if you were to have sex with somebody short, would you get shorter? If you were to have somebody uh, sex with somebody who was left-handed, would that make you left-handed? doesn't work that way. It all depends on what they did with their left hand. That gave me satisfaction, I guess. I <laughs> point, point taken. Indeed. <laughs> so, in your experience or doing the research for your book or speaking to the people that you've had the, experience, the, the opportunity of speaking to, do we find that most of these predators are male or female, or is it a, a mixed uh, bag? Oh, that's a, a wonderful question, because um, um, it, in part, I have to be very careful to, to talk about two very different things. Okay. First of all, whether we're talking about predators, you know, predators, narcissists, the people who are exploitive, or the people who simply lose the way, the errants, um, the actual percentage is, seems to be roughly 90 to 95% male. Now, what we would call the victims, or sometimes they're complicit, but mm -hmm. the students are not necessarily, or not 90% male, they're probably about 75% female. They're about, um, uh, because remember, this has, this has nothing to do with sexual orientation, right. um, but the, the, it is heavily oriented toward uh, the, uh, the teacher being male. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that that uh, I do go into in the book. Um, some of it has to do with uh, how men are raised. Some of it has to do with, uh, with uh, uh, testosterone. Some of it has to do with being an alpha male figure. And by, say, alpha male, uh, you can be a woman and be an alpha male, essentially, uh, in a spiritual community. Um, so, uh, but I will say this, that, that uh, uh, it is far, far more common in all the helping professions when there's been this boundary violation for the, um, uh, the helping professional to have to be male. Uh, roughly 9 to 1, 10 to 1. Um, but I, I, I really want to emphasize that doesn't mean it doesn't happen the other way. There's mm -hmm. a tendency for people to think, well, there's a 90% chance this mushroom isn't poisonous, so therefore I'm, I, it's okay for me to eat it. Um, in a similar fashion, there are exploitive women out there. You can, um, uh, not a lot, much smaller percentage, but they're there. So don't assume that you're safe because the person's a woman. That's what I was getting at. Um, yeah. So with organized religion, you have mm -hmm. a tier system. You've got the boss on mm -hmm. top, and then, for example... In Catholicism or in, in, uh, in, the, mm -hmm. in the Church of Anglican, you've got the archbishop, you've got the bishop, mm -hmm. and then you've got the minister, and so on. When it comes to a spiritual teacher who usually operates on their own, mm -hmm. who guides them? Who polices them? Oh, it's, a, it's a wonderful question. Because you really can divide the spiritual teachers into two groups, those who are part of a formal religious tradition, which actually makes up most of them. Mm -hmm. The vast majority are, in fact. So even if you're looking at uh, traditions that might look esoteric to us, like Tibetan Buddhism, yeah. for example, um, there's a very clear hierarchy of who reports to whom um, and so on. So um, it, depending on the tradition, some have some um, pretty serious uh, oversight boards and levels in place. Um, but the fact that those things are in place doesn't mean they're doing their job. In fact, sometimes, as we've seen often in the Catholic Church, yep. as we see repeatedly now also in Orthodox Judaism, 
that their job actually is not to police and not to support the teacher in, in their health, but supporting the teacher in their transgression. And, um, and they, they act very much like an incestuous family. That said, you make a good point by implication in terms of the people who are independent or don't answer to anyone, because if they don't answer to anyone, then there's no one to, to catch them yeah. and to say, wait a minute, something's wrong. But there is one exception to that, and that is every spiritual teacher, I mean, they're not a spiritual teacher unless they have a community, unless they have people who are working with them. Otherwise, they're just a lecturer. So if they have a community, they always do report to the community. Mm -hmm. And as community members, we have obligations to ourselves and each other and even to the teacher to kind of uh, say when, you know what, the emperor is not wearing clothes. But what about these, these spiritual teachers that, that use the Internet to find people mm -hmm. who need to need them to help them get back on the path. These people, these spiritual teachers, mm -hmm. can show you a better tomorrow. They can take you into. Oh my lord! Uh, the stories are far and varied when it comes to the yeah. online people. They prey on people, except they don't prey on them for sexual gratification. They hook them into oh, becoming. Oh, sometimes they do that as well. Really. Yeah, sometimes they do that as well. I mean, it might be, you know, it might be ultimately phone sex or, yeah. or uh, you know, cyber sex. But, um, and it might be real, too. But I'm, I'm really glad you raised that because, yes, those, are those people are, I mean, not invariably, but they're, actually that is the group that is most likely to be predatory of any group of spiritual teachers. Um, and so their community as such uh, may be virtual mm -hmm. or it may be imaginary, right? They've kind of created it. Yeah. But yes, I would be I would be very hesitant to um, um, uh, to work with someone who you've not met uh, personally or via Skype or it just just again it would it's very similar to like picking somebody up on the bar unless you really know someone pretty well I wouldn't trust them with uh, uh, with my uh, my intimate secrets with with what's most um, most important to me, because indeed, a sociopath or a narcissist will use it against you. Yeah. For example, there are there are tons and tons and tons of psychics that oh, yeah. that are available on the internet, and mm -hmm. for ten dollars, you know, for the initial mm -hmm. call, and then for a dollar ninety nine a minute thereafter, <laughs> they will solve all your problems. So when it comes to this and these online psychics, mm -hmm. what's the difference between the online mm -hmm. psychic and the spiritual advisor that uses the internet to to hook and bait people? Well, I, I guess I'm going to. I want to um, both agree with you that in some ways there is no difference, but mm -hmm. I think that there is a few things that are different. First okay. of all, I would be careful of any spiritual teacher who's charging you um, uh, regular fees. Now, I'm not saying that's always a problem. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But if you're paying by the minute or by the consultation or whatever, I would be more wary. Now, obviously, psychologists and, and many other such helping professionals will charge by the session right. and so on. So I don't want to say that anybody who charges by the session is inherently um, wrong or bad. But if somebody is primarily operating a business, that is the, probably the biggest key. That, um, uh, you know, I mentioned the dry cleaner before. Yeah. I suppose it's possible that somebody grows up thinking, I've always wanted to be a dry cleaner, it's mm -hmm. my mission in life. But people typically go into that because, 
you know what, I'd like to make a good living and do something of, of reasonable value, as opposed to, I feel this calling. Mm-hmm. Who feels a calling to be a dry cleaner? You know, maybe some dry cleaners will call up and say, I did. But the, the, um, typically, if you're going to be a real spiritual teacher, you're doing it um, because you feel called by the world or by God or by some inner calling or, um, or, to be of or, benefit to people. Or mm-hmm. by the call of making fast money. Sure, but th- that's, what, that's exactly how you tell the difference. If they seem to be looking for money, that's when I would be careful. But a lot of people... So, you know, you, you're hitting of, right on it, Rob. You're hitting exactly but, the difference between but a lot of people, how, how to tell the person who seems to be legit. A lot of people who go on the Internet looking for help, they don't know that. Mm-hmm. They just go to a website that has a lot of bull crap on it. They see, mm-hmm. you know, send me an email. The email is returned. Pay me so much money on MasterCard, Visa, American Express, or PayPal. And away we go. So how do we, how do we protect yeah, the people who don't know what the hell they're looking for to make sure they're not taken by these con artists and these criminals? Well, of course, that's been part of what the whole book is about. But after a certain point, um, you know, it's like if you have, I don't know if you have kids, but if you have kids, there's at a certain point, you have to let them uh, make their own yeah, mistakes. And unfortunately, uh, some people with, with, with both real spiritual teachers mm-hmm. who, um, um, who have something to offer but who don't have good boundaries yeah. and people who are outright frauds or predators or whatnot, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Um, you just you have to let people learn the hard way. Wow. All right, you and I have um, to take our it, final it, it, break. Please stand by, Scott. Right. ExoNation, Scott Adelstein is our guest. His website is sexandthespiritualteacher.com or scottedelstein.com. And uh, we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, you can listen to the Exxon 724 at com, Or you can also go to, X, uh, let me see, youtube.com forward slash Exxon Broadcast Net. I'll be back with Scott finishing off this hour here in the Exxon. Once again, his website, sexandthespiritualteacher.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Scott Edelstein is our guest. Uh, Sexandthespiritualteacher.com is the website. And you can also find out more about Scott at scottedelstein.com. And uh, once again, the name of Scott's book is Sex and the Spiritual Teacher. First of all, Scott, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I love this topic. You know, I've been doing this show for 23 years now. And you're the first person who's come on the show to take a look at spirituality and the spiritual teachers as you have, and my hat is off to you. Oh, thank you very much. I uh, hope that other people will follow in my footsteps, and uh, thank you so much for uh, wanting to serve humanity in that way. Listen, uh, where can people get copies of your book, Scott? Well, they can certainly get it from any of the online vendors, mm-hmm. uh, Amazon, Barnes, BarnesandNoble.com, etc. They can also, if, if their local bookstore doesn't have it, they can certainly just uh, get it ordered. Any bookstore can get it with a click. And, of course, it's available through all the major uh, ebook vendors as well. Scott, Easy to find. Scott, what is the final message you would like to leave with the Exxon Nation tonight? 
I would say it's that spirituality is real, it's valuable, it, it's always worthwhile for us to become more human, for mm-hmm. us to grow up. It's important, what we're, uh, we're all called to do. Um, and that spiritual teachers are neither all good nor all bad. They're like uh, members of every other profession. They range from absolutely wonderful to absolutely terrible, and sometimes they can change over time. So um, ultimately, we need to learn to trust our own hearts and minds and guts, uh, be willing to make mm-hmm. mistakes, and um, be both, uh, what can I say, uh, be careful, but um, also don't close ourselves down. So um, uh, good advice, not just for spiritual teachers, but for uh, getting through life. Listen, one quick question. Yes. What, what's the difference between um, a person like Jim Jones or a person like David mm-hmm. Koresh, and a spiritual teacher? Mm-hmm. Well, some of these people are self-proclaimed spiritual teachers, mm-hmm. and that's precisely why I wrote the book, because um, it's kind of like, what's the difference between a, uh, a transistor radio from 1958 yeah. and uh, the, you know, the receiver that you have in your studio? They're both, they're both essentially the same in some ways, but you know what? They're not really the same at all. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's no way other than through your own discernment that you are going to be able to just uh, uh, make that decision about, uh, is this a David Koresh, mm-hmm. or is this the right person for me? So uh, uh, keep trusting yourself. That's, that's just what's, what's always going to be uh, your best guide. To your knowledge, David, are there any organizations where people can go to to check out some spiritual teachers to see if the person is on the level? Oh, yes. That's a wonderful question. So, um, yeah, there is a... Um, uh, first of all, there's a whole uh, variety of, of things in the back of my, um, of, your book? of my book that people can go to mm-hmm. to check. But in addition, there is something called Guruphilia. Or, yeah, Guruphiliac, I believe. Right. And um, it was with Blogspot, and it looks like it may have, have moved. But Guru Filiac uh, normally uh, reports on uh, exploitive spiritual wow. teachers. That's excellent. Yeah. David, so I want to thank you so much for joining us. I wish you much success, and I'd love to have you back on in the future to discuss this very important topic. And if there's any way we can help you, you just let me know. Thanks so much, Rob. I'd be thrilled to come back, and uh, it's been a wonderful hour. It's been my pleasure, sir. Take care of yourself, David. Exonation, my guest this hour has been David Edelstein. Uh, a fantastic topic. I'm glad he wrote his book. It's entitled Sex and the Spiritual Teacher. His website is sexandthespiritualteacher.com, and you can also find out more about David at his other website. I'm sorry, Scott Edelstein. I don't know why I called him David. All right, we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, Exxon Nation, you can always listen to the show at www.exxonradiotv.com. Don't go away now. (laughs) 